All right, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to Luke chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. And we're wrapping up kind of this uh, halftime series, if you will. We'll be picking back up in Romans next week. But uh, we've been talking about disciples multiplying disciples. And I want to pray, and then we, um, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 14. We'll be in verse 25, but before I do, I just want to, I want to make a comment before we pray together. I want to just kind of share something with you. In 2008, there were, there were two teenagers, um, Alex and Brett Harris, and they wrote this book, which became a hugely popular book, and it was called Do Hard Things. Now, this was written by twins who were 18 years old at the time they wrote the book. And what it was meant to do was to challenge teenagers, really, it was written by teens for teens, it was meant to challenge teenagers to not be content with simply sitting back, taking the comfortable life and doing the easy things, but it was meant to challenge teenagers, hey, you know what, don't do the easy thing, go do the hard thing. And that's a challenge that I think every one of us could uh, embrace today. You know, it's the hard things and doing the hard things and taking the hard steps and walking by faith and doing the difficult things that Jesus calls us to do that leads to the life that Jesus would call abundant. And so here we are, two teenagers writing a book called Do Hard Things. It was referenced by presidents. It was referenced by senators. It was actually, uh, there was an ad for it uh, years ago. I don't even know if this is still a thing, but years ago they had this magazine called ESPN the Magazine. And there was actually um, an advertisement in ESPN the Magazine for the book. And so don't tell me, don't tell me that teenagers cannot influence and impact the world that they live in. And so it was again called Do Hard Things. Now, Jesus never penned a book. Jesus was who this entire Bible that we read was about, but there were 27 books in the Bible that were written about this man named Jesus and the gospel that he proclaimed. One of the things that you will encounter, and we're going to encounter together this morning, is that though Jesus never wrote a book called Do Hard Things, Jesus did say some hard things. And we're going to talk about those, and we're going to hopefully Learn how to lean into some of the tension that Jesus is going to create for us here this morning in the text that we are going to read. And so, again, today we're going to talk about a couple of those hard things that Jesus said. And it's something that maybe you've never read before. If you've, maybe you've read through the Bible and these verses just never resonated with you or clicked with you, but it's amazing to me how many people would say, you know, I, I never picked up on those verses before, but we're going to look at those today. So let's pray. God, you are so good. And Father, we want to thank you um, that you did the hard things. You sent your son, Jesus. Jesus gave up heaven. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. But as he lived his sinless life, he was persecuted over and over and over and over again. But scripture tells us that he set his eyes to the cross. He set his eyes to his course. He knew the mission for which he had come. And no matter what happened to him and no matter who came against him, God, he just kept going. And the reason he kept going is he had to be about his father's business. And so, Lord, as we look into your word today and as we listen to what your word would teach us, God, we pray that you would teach us through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, shape us and conform us and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. May we not just be simply hearers of the word today, but may we be doers of the word, thereby making the application which leads to the transformation in our life. It's in Jesus' name that I ask all of this. Amen. 
Now, before we take a look at the words of Jesus, uh, I, I feel it would be appropriate for all of us to get on the same page this morning. I, one of the things that Jesus did, or one of the things that Jesus said at the end of his life here on earth before he ascended to heaven, in Matthew chapter 28, we have what is called the Great Commission. He says, go therefore into all the world, make disciples of the entire world. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And he says, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. That commission was verbally given to his disciples, but it is transferred, the responsibility of it is transferred to all of us. Every single person in here is supposed to be a disciple maker, okay? That's, that's all of us. Now, that's a, that's a hard thing because the idea of actually taking someone underneath our wing and discipling them is a scary thing. To be a teacher, to be a Sunday school teacher, to be a preacher, to just be a, a good confidant and a good friend who says, I'm going to stand for the things of Jesus Christ even when nobody else does. To be a young Christian, to be a teenager when everybody else on your campus is not doing the things that Jesus says do, but you're saying, I want to live that way. It's really difficult to take those kinds of stands. But again, Jesus calls us to do hard things and he says some hard things to us. And so the call is to be disciples who make disciples. Now, Jesus made disciples, and to follow Jesus means that we would be doing the same thing. In Luke chapter 14, I want you to look with me at verse 25 and listen to what Luke records for us. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Now, great crowds. Jesus uh, right before this, Jesus had been spending time in a Pharisee's house. He had performed miracles, he had healed a man, and he had taught in parables. And so as you can imagine, I mean, we get fascinated with people in our world today, in our social media culture. People can get on uh, one of the social media platforms and they can post a video of something that's pretty extraordinary and we just jump in. We go, how in the world did they accomplish that? Or sometimes they use these photo editing tricks to make it seem like um, there, there's somebody disappears or somebody uh, does something that seems miraculous. And when we see it, our, our imaginations are opened up and we get excited about what we've seen. There's a, there's a magician um, named David Blaine. He had a thing years ago on TV that it was a, a special that was made just for TV. And I remember just watching it and going, it is so incredible. I know it's all illusion, but it's, it's incredible to me what he can do. And because he's so good at it, people are attracted to it. David Copperfield was another magician that was popular in his day in the Siegfried and Royd show that was in Vegas. People are just amazed and drawn to things that seem to be miraculous. And it was no different in Jesus' day. As Jesus would go around and he would heal people, as he would perform miracles, as he would turn water to wine, as, as Jesus would uh, raise people from the dead, you can imagine that great crowds would be fascinated by Jesus and, man, word spread. They didn't have phones to tweet it out or text it out, but, man, word spread by word of mouth. And as Jesus would show up from city to city, crowds would gather because they wanted to see the next thing that Jesus would do. Hey, Jesus, show us a trick. Hey, Jesus, we want to see you do something crazy. Could you do something crazy? Or he would teach in these really wild ways that made people just drawn in to his teachings. Now, because of that, Jesus had these great crowds. And right here in verse 25 of 14, Luke records for us. It says that, again, he says, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them. Now, let me ask you a question. See, in our social media world that we live in today, people are trying to accumulate followers. 
You, you see people all the time, hey, follow me on Snapchat, follow me on TikTok, follow me on Instagram. And, and they're trying to accumulate followers. People celebrate that. You'll see people oftentimes go, hey, I'm only 1,000 people away from, from hitting 100,000. Follow me and help me get there. I mean, people are just asking and begging for other people to follow them. And it's amazing to me how, how much stuff we have and how many people follow things that to me, I just go, why would anybody want to watch that? I mean, back in my day when I was growing up, man, it used to be the cool thing like, hey, fellas, let's all meet at the house. We'll, we'll play Super Mario. We play Tecmo Bowl for y'all that remember any of those things. And then, and then uh, we would all show up, play games together. Today, like people don't just play video games. They get on YouTube and watch people play video games. And I'm like, man, what? What is going on in our world today? But that, and these people have millions of followers. People who get online, stream themselves playing video games, have millions of followers. Jesus had crowds of people following him. And it says, Jesus turned and said to them, Now, what would you say? Now, again, living in a world today where we want followers, where people are trying to, we're trying to gather followers on our social media platforms. If you had a lot of people following you, I was, we were, my wife and I were having this conversation yesterday. There, there are some people, I'm not going to mention them by name, but there's some people in our, our culture that have had a, a pretty profound impact on, on the world. And one of the things that we mentioned is, you know, they kind of stay out of controversy. They don't really say anything they don't offend anyone, and they don't really challenge anyone. They don't, they don't say anything that would seem controversial. They stay out of controversy's light, and therefore they have a lot of followers. What would you say, if you had a lot of followers, if you had a lot of people on your social media platform, what would be the thing that you would say, hey, i, I got to be careful what I say here if I'm going to jump on social media because you know that the backlash is going to happen? Or... Do you, do you find yourself living your life in such a way that you're, you're afraid necessarily to take a stand for the truth because you're afraid of who you might offend? See, Jesus has a crowd of people following him. And in my head, and I'm sure the disciples thought this, they're probably going, hey man, this thing is happening. That kingdom that he talked about building, it's happening. Rome better be careful. Caesar better look out because he's getting ready to overthrow this whole thing. Jesus is getting crowds of people following him and we are about to take over. Jesus, just don't mess it up. And so Jesus, seeing the crowds, I don't know what you would have said if you would have been Jesus in that moment. I don't know what you would have said to the crowds that were behind you. If you're like me, you might have turned around and said, hey, hey, y'all go to the next neighborhood because that's where I'm going. I'll be there about 4 p.m. You tell everybody I'm coming and tell them to invite more people. Maybe that's what you would have said. Maybe you would have said, hey, let's figure out a way to get more people because I can tell you the disciples that were following Jesus, that's what they wanted. They wanted more and more people. Hey, the more people we can get on board, the better because we're building an army here. And we want people to be with us. And here's what Jesus says. I want you to listen. I mean, think about the tension that exists. He has crowds of people following him. And, and in verse 26, here's what he says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, Who does, uh, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You don't see that on t-shirts, do you? Like, you don't go into the Christian bookstore and see, oh, man, I want that one. Y'all grab that one for me. Or you don't see coffee mugs with that on there. But Jesus turns to the crowd and he says to them, he says, hey, 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 listen. I need you to understand that if you don't hate. And we're thinking, well, wait a minute now. Hold on. The, I, did, I thought the Bible says that we're not supposed to hate. That is true. 
The word, when we translate properly the word hate, what it means is to love less. In other words, what Jesus is saying in this moment is he is saying to the people, he is saying, if anyone comes to me and does not love me more than his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life. If you don't love me more than all of those people in your life, including yourself, he said, you cannot be my disciple. And then he says, and whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, in that moment, again, if the disciples, you have to imagine what that, like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing, man? Like, we're trying to get people to follow us, not, not get people to leave us. And as we all know, if you go through and read the New Testament, what you see and what we all see is is that by the time Jesus goes to the cross, not only did crowds leave Jesus, they're the ones shouting, crucify him. Now, the problem with, with us as followers of Jesus Christ is what we want is an easy to believe, easy to follow Jesus. We want Jesus, get me to heaven. But don't tell me how to live until I get there. Jesus, you sit in the back seat, keep your mouth shut. until I don't need a backseat driver. You just make sure that when I get to the end of my life, that I get to step into heaven and not hell. That's the kind of Jesus that most people want. We would never verbalize it that way, but how we live our life and how we live our faith out, that is exactly what we are communicating. And Jesus, he turns to the crowds and he says these very difficult and very hard words. Imagine for a moment, again, that the large crowds are following you. What do you say? And, and here's the reality is that we have a very hard and difficult message to communicate. It's called good news. Like, that's what the gospel means. We are, we are carriers of the gospel. The gospel, again, means good news. And we read stuff like that and we go, that, that doesn't sound like good news. You go out into the world and you go, hey, I got some good news for you. Um, there is a God who loves you. There is a Savior who died for you. And he, he wants to give you something amazing. All you have to do is just hate your own life. What you have to do is love him more supremely than anything else on the planet. People are not going to just dive straight into that. People are, hey, all you have to do is you have to take up your cross. Now, taking up your cross does not mean buying a charm for your necklace or putting a cross tattoo on your arm. It doesn't mean wearing Christian t-shirts. The cross is a place of, of, of torture. It is a place of execution. The cross is a place that you go to die. And what Jesus is asking us is he's saying, listen, I am calling you to die to yourself that you might live for something greater. And so Jesus says some really, really hard things. And and he's asking us to do hard things. Now, look at how he kind of follows up in um, verse 28. He goes on to say this. He says, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first down... First, sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him 
who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any of you who does not denounce all that he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. Now, again, here's Jesus saying yet another hard thing. Let's start with the crowds that he addressed. And just ask ourselves just a really quick question. Am I a part of the crowd of people or am I a part of the called? Have, I, have we all, have, any, have all of us sat down and said, okay, this is what it's going to require me to follow Jesus. It's going to require me to give up. It's going to require me to sacrifice. It's going to require me to love my neighbor as myself. It's going to require me to esteem others as better than myself. It's going to require me to sacrifice, to step out, to serve. Because Jesus said, the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. See, if you've... um, If you've ever listened to a radio show, or if you've ever listened to the radio, or if you've listened to these commercials that come on TV in between whatever it is you watch, at the end of some of these commercials, they have this really fast-talking guy that no one can understand. Or if you um, if you go to try to use like a deal, like if you go to a restaurant and you use their app and it has like a special, you'll notice at the bottom there's this real small fine print that. In it, it, it would say things like one coupon per visit or whatever like that. And then you didn't know it until you got up there and you'd, you'd kind of coupon shopped your way into getting a really great deal. Then you get there and you go, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. It's only one coupon per visit. See, those are called terms and conditions. And Jesus right here is laying down some terms and conditions. So, hey, I wanna, I've got something great to offer you. I've got something really good to offer you. But there are some terms and conditions. Now, It's not conditions and terms or terms and conditions to earn your salvation. Do not hear me say that. Please don't hear what I didn't say. Okay, I did not say that in order to be saved that you have to first do some things, jump through some hoops, perform works. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that, you know, it is not by works that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. But many times the the terms and conditions will impact our decision to purchase. You know, when we think about the things that we purchase and the things that people say. And then we get turned off by the terms and conditions. And we say, ah, no thanks. This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus talks to the crowds of people that were following. They were looking for something. They knew they wanted something that Jesus had to offer. They just didn't fully understand what it was. See, they thought in Jesus' day, many of the people who followed him thought this was about building a kingdom here on earth, and Jesus is like, no, I'm building a different kingdom. I'm building a heavenly kingdom. And so Jesus now lays down these terms and conditions and says, hey, if you want to follow me, here's what it's going to cost you. So he does. He lays it down, the terms and conditions. A couple points that I want to make about the terms and conditions, and then a question to end. Okay? Number one, the terms and conditions ran most people off. Most of the crowds left Jesus, like I said, by the time of his crucifixion. Again, they were the ones that said, um, not only did they... Not no longer follow him, no longer follow him, but they eventually turned on him. Number two, the second point that I just need to make about the terms and conditions. Numerous books have been written over the years about detailing the things, the hard things that Jesus said. There's a book by a man named David Platt. It's called Radical. Uh, If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Uh, There's another one called Not a Fan by a guy named Kyle Adelman. It's kind of along the same lines. Uh, There's another one by a man named Craig Groeschel. He wrote it. It's called Christian Atheist. 
So there are a lot of these books that have been written by pastors in our society detailing the difficult things that Jesus would say about what it means to follow him. And the reason that these things need to be said is I remember um, years ago, one of my former students was pastoring a church and, and, and we had been through Radical together when he was in my student ministry and then he got to his church and on a Wednesday night, he decided that they were going to go through Radical with their church. And he tells me this story. He says, he says, Billy, we were going through Radical together and he said there was this guy. He said, we've been going through it for like five weeks and we got to this one particular chapter and in the middle of the service on a Wednesday night, he gets up, he walks down the aisle and he pulls his car keys out and he slams them on the altar and he says, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to give up everything? And he says, I think that's kind of the point. Now, I don't know necessarily that he needs you to sell your car. You might need that car to go tell people about Jesus. You might need that car to go where he's provided you a place where you can go work vocationally. But again, it's not about your career and it's not about what Jesus planned for your life is. It's more about what Jesus platform for your life is. Where does God put us and where does God put you in order to go proclaim the gospel? So he tells the guys, it's not about necessarily you trading your car in or giving your car to the church and selling everything, but it is about selling out. It's not about being kind of half-hearted, half-in. It's about going all in. You know, when you're, when you're I'm not a poker player, but I, I kind of know the rules of poker. And I know that there's, there's certain hands that are like it, right? Like if you get, and I don't know what that hand is. Uh, many of you probably may, may know. I don't know if it's a royal flush or what the top hand in poker is. But when you have that hand, do you know what you do when you have that hand? You take all the chips you have and you push them to the middle of the table. That's called going all in. Do you know why people go all in? Because they know that they have a hand that's better than any else. You don't have to bluff. You can feel confident that you are going to win. And see, when we have Christ in our life, when we are following Jesus, the life that Jesus offers, you can go all in on because you know something. Now, Jesus does say some hard things. I want to read you one more section where Jesus says some very difficult words. This is also found in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Listen to what Jesus has to say. It says, uh, as they were going along, so this is Jesus and some of his followers, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It's easy to stand in church and say, wherever you lead, I'll go. It's really easy to stand in church and sing that. But this guy says to Jesus, he says, wherever you, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, hey, I'm not camping out. I'm not staying somewhere. I don't have a home. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this life of traveling, moving, making disciples. I want to go. I want to go get the gospel to as many people as I can. Are you sure you want to follow? Then he says this to another, um, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, that's not easy. That's not, it doesn't sound very nice, Jesus. I mean, go, uh, that's a good thing to go bury your father. And evidently, contextually, it was someone who was not yet dead, who has just been sick. Yet another, he said, I will follow you, Lord. Let me say, fail where, fail where to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, not coffee mug t-shirt verses. Again, not things that we attribute to Christianity. Not things that we go, 
Hey, I'm, I'm like, how many of you, when you got presented the gospel, got presented those verses? But see, Jesus would say, who among you desiring to build a tower wouldn't first sit down and count the cost to see if he's able to complete it? Otherwise, when he started and laid a foundation and he doesn't finish, people mock him. Back in the, back in the recession in the early two, or late 2000s, when the recession hit back then, there was a hotel down in um, Alachua County where I lived in Florida. They started, there were some hotels that began to build because it was a growing and booming area. Well, they started to build. They laid a foundation. They actually got framework and structure of like a three-story hotel up and then stopped. And everybody thought, how ridiculous is this? They invested all of that money and they started and then they just stopped. You probably saw it too. There were communities that started. People started developing land so that they could build neighborhoods. And then they kind of got the land cleared and they put roads in. And then all of a sudden the recession hit and no building happened. And now you got these roads and roadways and neighborhoods formed and uh, sewage and plumbing, uh, you know, water lines run. But then no houses are going up. Why? Because... The recession, and everybody looked at that and said, why would you invest so much money in something that just isn't going to happen? And Jesus says, hey, who among you desiring to build a tower wouldn't first sit down and count the cost? Why? It's important. Every one of us want to know before we sign on the dotted line for a home or for a car or for whatever it is that you're purchasing, every one of us want to know what are you asking of me? How much am I paying for this? How much am I committing to? How long am I going to have to pay? What is my interest rate going to be? We want to know all the details because we want to know that what we're stepping into is worth what we're about to step into. And Jesus is saying, hey, every single one of you, you need to count the cost. You need to think about what it is you're committing to. So now a question after we read all this. And it's one that I'm sure, again, ran through the minds of the disciples and as they were hoping for more people to follow Jesus. And here's the question. What type of person would commit to that? What? That's insanity, Jesus. What kind of person is going to believe that message? What kind of person is going to make that kind of commitment? What kind of person, Jesus, is going to read those words or hear the words that you say, those hard things, those difficult things that you put on our plate? Who's going to hear that and follow that? Well, I can tell you who. It's a person that believes something. The type of person that would commit to something like that is someone who believes something. Now, I'm not talking about commit like high school athletes do today when they say, oh, I'm committed to the University of Georgia, or I'm committed to the University of Florida, or I'm committed to wherever. They say these things, and I tell you, you guys will come up and go, hey, I saw Florida got to commit. Like, man, I don't believe any of those jokers until that fax rolls across. I don't believe any of them. Like, there was a, there was a kid recently I, I saw on Twitter, 100% committed. The next day committed, he was 100% committed to Florida. The next day committed to Georgia. It's like, I, I think we've got to learn some definitions about what 100% means because I thought 100% committed. Like, I, I pray, I hope your wife, ne your future wife never reads that tweet. When you stand at the altar and say, yes, I am 100% committed. I'm all in, babe. Like, you mean like 100% committed like you were to one school and then you flip to another? I'm not talking about that kind of commitment. I'm what kind of person would commit? What type of person would commit to the words that Jesus says? I'm not talking about a half-hearted, half-committed person. I'm talking about an all-in commitment. What kind of person? So what's the difference? What's the difference between half-hearted and half-in versus all-in? Let me just give a few examples. Half-hearted says when I want the heavenly rewards 
without heavenly responsibility. That's half-hearted. All in says, not my will be done, but yours. Half-hearted says, I'll do it as long as it doesn't cost me anything. All in says, I'll do it regardless of the cost. Half-hearted says, I'll do it as long as I get easy tasks and have to deal with easy people. All in understands that Jesus, following Jesus, with that comes persecution. He said, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you too. Paul would say, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted, it could be that you're not following Jesus. Because he's going to ask you to do hard things. He's going to ask you to step into things that scare you to death. All in understands that following Jesus comes with persecution and is willing to get in the weeds and love. Not the easy people to love. Man, it's easy to love easy people. I mean, there's just some people. It's like, man, I just love them. They're such great people. Yeah, have you ever noticed there's just some people that are a little bit harder to love? By the way, those are the people that Jesus spent the bulk of his ministry with. And in the church, we want to know, hey, like, all right, so I'm in. I'll serve. Where do you want me to serve? Oh, I ain't serving there. Hmm. I don't want to be, like, I'm, I'm not a kid's person. You don't have to be a kid's person. You just have to be a Jesus person. You just have to be willing to step into the lives of young people and show them that God loves them. People showed up for VBS this week. We had almost as many workers, which I'm so thankful for, as we had children. Man, I am so grateful for people that carve out a week of their summer to show up and just make sure kids are safe, kids are taught, kids are fed, kids learn how to dance. And, and by the way, there was dancing in the Baptist church. I just want y'all to know that, okay? I was just going to make that known. And they had a blast, and they learned some great things. And I'm so thankful that there are people that are willing to go, hey, that ain't my cup of tea, but I'll show up and give it a good swing. I'll just go love them like Jesus loved them. Sometimes it's the people that have been through the most that need the greatest amount of love. Sometimes it's the people who've had the hardest life that need somebody just to step in and go, hey, I, I know where you can find hope. You're hopeless. I know where you can find hope. I grew up without a dad. I grew up without a father. I know what it's like to be raised by a single mom, and I know how difficult that is. And you know what? Because of Jesus... Because of following Jesus is how I found my dad. The greatest things in our life happen as a result of following Jesus. Not trying to conform Jesus into the beliefs that we have about, hey, this is church is that thing you show up to on Sunday. No, it is not. This is the huddle. This is where we come in and go, hey, here's the play, hands in, ready, break, and we go execute. That's what church is. Church is about us Coming together to equip one another, to provoke one another, to love one another, to make sure that we are working towards good things and to iron where it's iron sharpens iron. This is where we show up to sharpen one another, encourage one another. In church, we got to be the most encouraging people on the planet. We got to be the most loving people on the planet. We got to be willing to love those who we or society shouldn't say, we should never say we, that society says is unlovable. We got to be willing to love the least, the lost, and the left behind we got to be willing to be the ones to step in and say, you, you might feel like you're nothing, but with Jesus, you can be everything that he created you to be. You don't feel like your life is great? Let me just tell you, Jesus said that he came that you could have life and have it abundantly. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to be. And so who, would, who in the world would 
would commit, what type of person would commit to something like that? Somebody who believes something. And you know what I believe? I believe that the word of God can change anybody. I believe that Jesus came to save everybody. And I believe that the difference between the people in our culture and where our crazy world is right now, we are so divided. The only thing that's going to fix that is not politicians and not politics. The only thing that is going to fix that is the word of God. The word of God has got to get into people's hearts. It's got to get into people's minds. David said that you take out of this, my, this heart of stone, give me a heart of flesh. The apostle Paul would say, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? Not by public education. It gets renewed when we submit our minds to the word of God. This is how it all changes. This is how we can change the world. This is how you can change your family. This is how you can change your circumstances. This is how you can change everything that you look at the world and go, that's wrong. There is a solution, and it's the word of God. And it's when the people of God believe the word of God enough that they're crazy enough to follow a Jesus who would say hard things. So let me just say this and close with this as our worship team comes up. The effectiveness of a person's life is not measured by how much they acquired. That's our world today. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Not true, because here's what happens, and we all have been on probably all sides of this. So your parents or your grandparents spent the bulk of their lives accumulating. And then when they got to a, a certain age, they said, we're downsizing. And they gave you all the stuff that they accumulated, and you're like, I don't want it. And you're going to do the same thing. You're accumulating. You're... And, and so we, we've somehow bought into the, the false American dream that the more stuff you have, the happier you will be. Modern day prophet Biggie Small said, more money, more problems. Amen. <laughs> it's, a matter of, it's a matter of us understanding that the effectiveness of your life of my life is not measured by how much we acquired, but it's measured by how many we inspire. I was listening to a podcast this week. He said the real value of life is measured not by how much you keep of it, how much of your time you try to hoard for yourself. And listen, we're all guilty of that. Like we, like we, we, your calendar revolves around you. He says the real, the real value of a human life is not determined by how much of it we keep for ourselves, how much we hoard. The real value of a human life is determined by how much of it is given away. There are people that preceded you in life. Your grandparents. I never met my grandfather. Never knew him. And he left some things to our family that was passed down. You, again, you've got things that have been passed down. The things don't matter. The things are stuff that we go, I don't want that. We're, we're throwing that away. We're getting rid of it. But what does matter is the people that made a difference in your life. When, you're, when you reach the end of life, when the end of life comes for you and for me, none of us are going to sit on life's deathbed and go, man, we sure had some cool stuff. You'll never, you won't look at your life and go, man, my life feels so accomplished because I had all these things. No, what will make you feel accomplished is when you can sit on your deathbed and you can know 
that one, Jesus is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Second thing is that you can think about the people's lives you've impacted. See, your life will live beyond you when you invest in people. If all you do is invest in stuff, when you die, it dies with you. We're here today, 2,000 years past the life of a Jewish carpenter born in obscurity, talking about him and talking about his teachings and talking about the life that he chose to give you and me. We can, we can walk through history and talk about people who impacted the world that we currently live in. We are living off the fruit of their work. It's because they did not live for themselves. They lived for the betterment of other people. So church, who would do? What type of person would commit to the words that Jesus says? People who believe something. And when you believe it, when you believe that Jesus' word can change people's lives, you'll be willing to commit to doing what Jesus says. When you believe that Jesus, following Jesus, can change your life, not halfway in, Jesus, I'll do some of these things because they seem okay. But these other things in here, they're kind of tough, Jesus, and it's going to make me a little uncomfortable. I'm not doing those. You don't reap the benefits from going half in. you got to go all in. Those are the terms and conditions. But I promise you, if you follow, if you follow, if you go all in, number one, your life will be different. Do you want your life to be different? Follow Jesus. And not only that, don't you want your life to make a difference? I want my life to be different, and I want my life to mean something. I want my life to make a difference. And the only way that my, my life or your life will ever make a difference is not making about you, making it about Jesus and his gospel. Man, what would this community look like if every single person in here and every single person watching online decided, you know what, I've been making my life too much about me. I want to make my life about Jesus. I want my kids to know Jesus. I want my parents to know Jesus. I want my relatives to know Jesus. I want the people I go to school with to know Jesus. I want the people that I work with to know Jesus. I want the people at, at Circle K to know Jesus. I want people at Chicken Delight to know Jesus. I just want people to know Jesus. And I don't want them just know Jesus. I want them to enjoy the journey with me as we walk in this together. Because that's how we grow. And that's how differences are made. And that's how churches make impact. And it'll never happen as long as we're just half-hearted Christians who are half in.